0: The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Well, like Jim said, we're really glad that you're here with us. If I didn't have a chance to meet you already, my name's Walt. And uh, with Jim and, uh, and, and all of our other leaders at Life Journey, man, we're so glad that you are here. We've been journeying through the book of Hebrews. Um, and we're really starting to get into what we started calling last week the meat and potatoes. That's just my way of saying like the big, 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 big deal, okay? So we've kind of worked through the salad, you know, it's like the salad, that's good, but that's just like on the way to something better, you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes kind of a deal. And so we, we've, we're hitting uh, this chapter seven, and we're going to slow down this, this train a little bit for the next five weeks as we cover chapter 7, and we're going to do this mini-series just simply called A Permanent Priest. And we're going to slow it down for a couple of reasons. Uh, Like I said, it's getting into the big, you know, teaching like the climax of hebrews and so we want to slow it down a little bit to make sure that we don't miss anything if we cover this entire chapter in one sunday then what happens to all the other people that don't come that particular sunday and so we're slowing it down as we walk through chapter seven also hebrews seven whether you realize it or not is very very controversial it's very controversial the teaching presented in Hebrews 7 listen is the same exact teaching that led to many christians being killed by religious jews during the first century we talked this about this a little bit last week but stephen the, the one of the first deacons back in Acts 6 and 7 was stoned to death because of teaching what hebrews 7 teaches and so there's been t- there was tension between the religious jews and the christians in the early early part of uh, the development of, the, of, of Christianity. And unfortunately, that tension remains today. Now, this tension isn't between Jew and Christian uh, Christianity. This tension, unfortunately, is between what we call religious Christianity and what we call true Christianity. Or maybe another title is original Christianity. Or the best title I've heard recently is classic Christianity. Christianity. So there's this tension between religious Christianity and classic Christianity, what we've made it into versus what it was originally. And so Hebrews 7 is getting to the heart of this tension that we experience today. Again, not between Jews and Christians, but between really religious Christians and uh, Christianity that just wants to hold to the original gospel. Now, what do we mean when we say this word religion or religious Christianity. We're not talking just simply about denominations or we're not talking about even religious practices or traditions. We're not talking about these things. So what we're talking about when we say religion is this thinking, this mentality that Craig already alluded to this morning, this mentality that by doing these practices or by doing these traditions, we actually gain rightness, okayness with the God of the universe. We say at Life Journey Church that we want Life Journey to be a place where religion comes to die. Now, we're not talking about religious practices or even traditions. Listen, we're talking about this thinking that by doing these practices, by doing these traditions, we're actually inching our way closer into intimacy with the God of the universe. Here at Life Journey, we do all sorts of practices. We do all sorts of religious traditions. What are some of them? Well, we come together in a in a meeting on Sundays. That's, a, that's, that's been ha- going on for, for generations upon generations. That's a religious practice, if you will. That's a practice that's happened for a long, long time. What else do we do, a practice that's been going on for a long time? The Lord's Supper, right? We call it covenant meal. We do that in our community groups. We do it here on Sundays on occasion. We do baptism. I mean, we, we, we do a lot of practices and traditions that have been handed down for generations upon generations. Uh, we sing songs right? We didn't come up with that. It's been going on for a long, long time. Uh, we uh, we take up offerings. We We read scripture. We meet in homes, okay? So we at Life Journey, man, we participate in a lot of practices, in a lot of traditions, but here's the deal. The big deal is that we teach and we believe that by doing these practices or not doing these practices, we are not getting cleaner or dirtier before God. We're not getting closer or more distance, b- b- distance between, us, between us and the God of the universe. This religious thinking that by doing them we get cleaner and closer is what we want to see die. So it's not about the practices or even about the denominations. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this thinking, this mentality that by doing certain things or not doing other things, we actually get better in our status between us and god our okayness if you want to think of it that way with the god of the universe is not generated by our actions it's a free gift and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it's a free gift from god to us that's why paul calls it the good news of god's grace it's free it's a gift and it's called the good news of god's grace for a reason so what Hebrews 7 is doing, Hebrews 7 is kind of really uh, unearthing and surfacing a lot of this controversy. This battle between religion and truth really has been been waging since the very very beginning of mankind, back in the garden of Eden. Think with me. What what happened? What did Adam and Eve do? The very first thing they did Uh, when, When they sinned, when they messed up, when they saw that they were no longer okay with God They got out, I don't know where they got it from, but they got out somebody's, you know, needle and thread kit They went over to the fig tree, cut a bunch of leaves off, and they started sewing up a little outfit to try to do what? To try to cover their sin, to try to fix themselves To try to do something to get back into God's good grace So listen, this isn't a new deal It's as old as mankind, this mentality, this thinking that we must do in order to be. So we're slowing this Hebrews train down quite a bit over these next five weeks to cover this very controversial, I mean, I'm not going to try to like sugarcoat it. It's very controversial. I don't want to rush through them. I would love for these five weeks in chapter seven and then three weeks in chapter eight, and then we're going to spend about four weeks in chapter nine. I would love for these next, however many weeks that adds up to, I don't know, look to Craig. Um, I would love for these next couple of months to really be a healing balm on our broken, religiously driven mindsets. We need this. Your friends, your neighbors, the nations, they need this. You might have a friend, if you, even if you just moved into town, you just met them, and you know they need this. They need to hear the wonderful news of what Jesus has actually done. So I encourage you to invite them. Bring them. We've got plenty of seats. If we rent out of these seats, we'll put more seats in the back. We've got plenty of room. So let's get into this. Why is this so controversial? Well, in a nutshell, here's the controversy. How do we get right with God? Scripture calls rightness with God righteousness. Okay, that's big church word righteousness or peace with god peace it's this idea of being okay with the God of the universe, you know how when you and your spouse get into a fight, or maybe it's you and a friend at school or whatever, you get into a fight, and you, you know at cer- a certain point you're going to have to start, you're going to have to make up, right? You're going to have to like bury the hatchet, and you're going to have to move on. Uh, at some point, I don't know exactly how you do it, and I see husbands and wives looking at each other. Maybe there's a hatchet that needs to be buried this morning. We'll have alt call later. All right, let's just get through the text. Um, but, um, but. At some point in that conversation, you kind of step back and say, hey, look, I'm really, really sorry. What do we need to do to make this okay? Right? Something like that. And you'll say, hey, are we okay now? Are we cool? Are, are we okay? We might not say, uh, sweetheart, is there now rightness between us? I mean, I might not say it like that, but what we're saying is, is there, is there peace now? Are, are we reconciled? Are we Okay. And so this controversy is over how man both gets and then stays okay with God. How does the God of the universe look at us, mere man, and declare we're now okay? How does that work? This is the controversy. This may sound really, really simple for us to answer on the surface, But let's not rush through this. For hundreds of years before Jesus died, the terms of rightness with God was by keeping a long list of rules called the Mosaic Law that God gave to Moses back on Mount Sinai. When they did good, they thought that they were good with God. When they broke the rules, they were not good with God. Their rightness, their okayness, their, their closeness and cleanness was based upon their behavior. And here's what Hebrews 7 is getting at. Someone much greater than Moses and much greater than the law has actually shown up. And his name is Jesus. And he's greater than every single priest, every single prophet, every single scribe, every single rabbi, every single leader that Israel has ever had. And oh yeah, by the way, he's even better than the patriarch of Israel himself, Abraham. This Jesus is God the Son, clothed in flesh, and was actually the one that all of the stuff in the Old Testament pointed towards. All the sacrifices, all the priests, all the practices, all that they did pointed towards Jesus and what Jesus actually would do in the future. Now, we know he's already done it, but I'm talking about back before Jesus came. And it's just like today, you know, if a servant, you know, or, or, or a waiter in a house or whatever, they spend so much time setting the table for the, for the owner or for the, the master or whatever of the house to come in and eat, or or baseball season's got to be getting closer and closer, right? You know, now basketball, I mean, well, basketball's going, but it's like, what are we going to do with basketball season, you know? Um there 's not any teams in town that we want to root for, right you know but um, but it 's kind of like you know the bat boy, right, the ball boy in sports who spends all the time getting all the bats together and the balls together for what so for, for why, so that the all star slugger can you know hit a Grand slam home run or whatever that 's what a picture of all of these the stuff in the Old Testament is about like the bat boy you know sitting, getting everything in order or the or the uh, the, the, the servant who 's setting all the place, getting it all set for the real deal to come, who is Jesus, who would actually create complete okayness between God and man. So so where's this big controversy? Well, think about it. What do we do with our mind that is set on getting okay with Jesus? I mean, getting okay with God, Jesus is God, When Jesus, in his one single sacrifice, has already made you perfectly okay with him, if you but believe in Jesus. What do we do with our thinking that the better we perform, the better we are with God, when Jesus has actually come and has, listen, by his work of resurrection, has actually fused your new spirit to God's own spirit? What do we do with that thinking that by doing, we get closer when we're now fused with God? Oh, you say, fused with God? What are you talking about? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 says, but the one, that's you, "who, who joins himself, the one who believes in Jesus, the one who joins himself to the Lord, look, is one spirit with him. I got a simple question. How do you get any closer than being one spirit with the Lord? I mean, can you get closer than that? Now, are we saying, is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians that we become God because we're one with? No, no, no. He's not saying that at all. We're still us, a new us. God's still God. We don't become God, but we become one with him. Distinguishable, we're still us, he's still him, but inseparable. We have been fused with the God of the universe. So what do we do with all this thinking that the better we act, the cleaner we get when Jesus' one sacrifice has actually purified us from all of our sins? Well, I don't know about you, but to me, it sounds like we need to change our what? Change our minds, change our thinking, change what we how we think this thing works. And did you know that this is the whole deal of the Christian life? It's a continual renewal of the what? Mind. If you wanna boil what we're doing from, birth, from new birth until we die, from when we become a Christian until we die and this flesh is stripped off. If you wanna boil it all down, this is not in the message, this is free, no extra charge for this. If you wanna boil it all down to one simple thought, it's this, we have at our core been made righteous. A heart surgery, spiritual heart surgery has happened. And at our core, we are now made up of the very righteousness of God. That new heart, the new you, is what is going to live forever because it is already joined in one spirit with the Father. We are already one with him. Now this flesh, sure, it's going to fall off just like the shell of a seed falls off to bring forth life. This shell of a body is going to fall off and we will, but what is in us will continue and we'll have a new perfect body. We don't have time to get into that. But the whole process, if you will, from when that happens, when you start believing in Jesus to until physical death, is this the reality of what has happened in us, slowly we believe it and we put into practice in our minds. It is a lifelong process of the renewal of our minds to actually believe that we are new, to actually believe that we are holy, that we are righteous at the core. I'm not talking about your behavior. If you want to suggest that you've got righteous behavior, righteous, holy living, hey, look, you can say it if you want, but I mean, I'm not going to buy it. I'm talking about you, the real you at the core, made of the very righteousness of God. And it's time Paul's begging throughout the New Testament to believe this wonderful news for our minds to be renewed to this truth. What do we do with our behavior? Well, excuse me. When we think, now this might get me in trouble. I'm sorry. When we think that our behavior gets us right with God, we are not believing the same gospel that Paul preached and that Stephen died for. I'm gonna say it again. When we think that our behavior gets us right with God, we are not believing the same gospel that Paul preached and for which Stephen died. When we think that our behavior draws us closer to or further away from God, we are simply not believing the truth. When we think that our actions are the secret for us really getting clean and really getting close, then we've traded the gracious work of Jesus for a cheap, fleshly imitation. Is this controversy getting a little bit closer, a little bit clearer? I I hope so. I hope it's getting a little bit clearer of, of, of what do we do with this when When Hebrews and and, and Paul and and Stephen, they're all dying for this stuff. This is a really big deal. Did you know that 81% of Christians today in America believe, this is according to the Barna Research Study Group, 81% of believers today in America believe that Christianity is about keeping the rules that are listed in the Bible. 81% believe that the Christianity is about keeping the rules listed, found in the Bible. This is very sad. This is where I was most of my life until about two and a half years ago. And God has graciously begun to slowly open my eyes to the reality of this wonderful grace. And man, it's been awesome. And so many of you, even this morning, a couple of you came up to me and just with gleaming, glowing, smiling faces talking about the freedom and the liberation that you have towards this old thing, from this old thinking to the reality of the gospel. So here at Hebrews 7 is where this controversy, this scandal really begins to climax. And so many have said throughout history, well, wait a second, wait a second. If we're perfectly clean and perfectly closed by Jesus, Jesus, and not by our actions, then won't people just go out and sin a bunch? People throughout history have said, wait a second, if I'm totally forgiven from all my sins and my sinning doesn't affect me with God whatsoever, what keeps me from sinning all the more? People throughout history have said, wait a second, if we don't have rules to live by, if we don't have laws to govern our lives, then won't we just get out of control We've got to have rules. We've got to have laws to keep everyone in check. See this controversy? Now we're going to pick up in verse 13 of Hebrews 7 and go through verse 17, just a few verses this morning. But I want to read for our context and for everyone who wasn't here last week, verses 1 through 12. So we're on the same page. If you weren't here last week, look, please listen to the podcast. because There's no way we can cover everything. So here's how it picks up in verse 1. For this Melchizedek... King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils. This Melchizedek was, first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what his name means. And then also he was the king of a city named Salem, which we know as present-day Jerusalem, which is king of peace. Uh, Verse 3, without father, this Melchizedek guy was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but was made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. So there's this priesthood of Melchizedek that has continued. Now verse 4, observe how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. So if you were with us last week, hopefully you were. If you're not, you're like, what? Uh, Please listen to the podcast from last week, but Hebrews, in short, is building this case that this mystery man, Melchizedek, who only had two references in the entirety of the Old Testament, is actually greater than Abraham. Now listen, if Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, then by default, Melchizedek is greater than all of Abraham's descendants. Look at verse 5. And those, those descendants, indeed, of the sons of Levi. Levi. Now, Levi was the one who, according to the law, was the one who was the priest, had the priesthood of the Jewish uh, religion. And they were, had a law that they were able to collect a tenth from the people, from their brethren, although they were descendants from Abraham. But, verse 6, the one, talk about Melchizedek, whose genealogy is not traced from them, collect a tenth from Abraham. And blessed Abraham who had the promises. And without any dispute, the lesser Abraham is blessed by the greater Melchizedek. In this case of Levi, uh, men receive tithes, mortal men, men that die receive tithes. But in that case of Melchizedek, one receives them, Melchizedek received them, of whom it's witness that he lives on, that his priesthood continues. And, verse 9, so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received the tithes, paid tithes. For he, Levi, was still in the loins of his father, Melchizedek, uh, his father, uh, great-grandfather specifically, Abraham, when Melchizedek met Abraham. So again, I know if you weren't here last week, you're like, what? Even if you were here last week, you're like, what? Um, So all of Israel, here's the big deal, and maybe I should have just read this one paragraph instead of all that, but I like reading the Bible. The big deal of verses 1 through 10 is to show that all of Israel is lesser than this guy named Melchizedek. All of Israel pays tithes to Levi and Levi's priesthood. All of Levi and his priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek because because Levi was in the loins of Abraham. That means that Levi wasn't physically alive yet but Levi still honored Melchizedek in the fact that Abraham, Levi's great granddaddy, honored Melchizedek. So it's sort of like Hebrews is saying this. Look, guys, look, Israel, look, every single one of you, all Jews, look, look, look. You have already honored the priesthood of Melchizedek ever since Abraham. You've already done it. Every single one of you have ever paid tithes to Levi, which every single one of you, Jews have done this. You've all paid tithes to Levi. Every single one of you, therefore, have paid tithes, have honored, have uh, esteemed the order of Melchizedek, because Levi honored him in Abraham. So what's this mean? Well, that's what verse 11 through the end of the chapter is all about. So we looked at 11 and 12 last week. We'll just read through these and get into our meat of the stuff today. So look at verse 11. We're on verse 11. now. I don't know What's going on back there? Okay, here we go. So verse 11. Now, if perfection, so if you could get perfect, was through the Levitical priesthood, our connotation, our context, or our word, our verbiage, if rightness with God, if okayness with the God of the universe was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, people received the law... If you could get perfect, if you get okay with God, what through Levi? What further need was there for another priest to arise in the order of Melchizedek and not designated to the order of Aaron? So here's the. This is why this is so important. Here's why Hebrews just spent ten verses explaining that Melchizedek and his priesthood is greater than Abraham and Levi and all those who are in the Jewish uh, you know group. This is why it's so important. There's another priest. There's another priesthood. And this latest and greatest priest isn't from the lineage of Levi like all the other Jewish priests throughout history. This latest and greatest priest that Hebrews is introducing to us is from a whole other order, from this order of Melchizedek. He's not from the order of Levi, but the order of Melchizedek. This means that whoever this new priest is that comes in the order of Melchizedek is greater than all the priests and all the people who came from Abraham. But this can't be, right? I mean, this is against the law of Moses for anyone to be a priest who is not of Levi. So what do you do with the law that demands a Levite be the priest when you change the priesthood to being from someone else, from Melchizedek. Great question. Verse 12. Here's what you do. And this is where the controversy really starts to boil. For when the priesthood is changed, Levi to Melchizedek, change of priesthood. For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. Wow. Wow. Now, we spent a lot of time on this last week going over what this means, but for context and for a reminder, the law was set up to promote and establish the Levitical priesthood. You see, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, they were all beautiful shadows of what Of Christ, who would come one day. Once the tabernacle was built and all the priests were identified, God wanted the people to come into this tabernacle and experience a taste of His great love and mercy. So, what did He do? God created hundreds and hundreds of laws. And every time someone in the Jewish uh, group, the Jewish uh, uh, people, would violate one of those laws, They were guilty of sinning, and they had to go to the priest to get a taste of forgiveness. Now, this was God's way of showing that they had a great need for someone who could actually take away their sins because the sacrifices of the priest covered it, but they didn't actually take it away. Well, this is what's happened. Jesus has come and he's actually taken away the sin of the world. So what do you do with the law that points out our dirt when people are now clean in Christ? What do you do with the law that points out our distance from God when now we're perfectly close to God because of Jesus? Well, Hebrews is saying that you change the law. It's not needed anymore. It's scandalous, isn't it? I mean, this is controversial. It should sound somewhat controversial. You mean that to say that the Mosaic law has changed? Well, listen, I'm not saying that. Hebrews is saying that. Don't get mad at me. All right, get mad at Hebrews, right? Get mad at Stephen, get mad at Paul. I already mentioned this earlier, but Stephen was stoned to death because of this in Acts 6. He said that the laws of Moses are now needing to be changed, and the religious Jews picked up st- stones and they threw him at him until he died this was the teaching of paul romans 5 read it for yourself galatians 3 in fact paul couldn't get any clearer on this than in galatians 4 when he says that the law and the works of the flesh are to be thrown away thrown out for we are now born of heaven above There's only one other place in scripture where I think it's clearer than what Paul says in Galatians 4, and that's right here. I mean, can you get any clearer than what Paul says in verse, I mean, what what Hebrews says in Hebrews 7, 12, the law of Moses has changed. There's no more need for it. But won't people sin more if there's no more law? How do we know how to live? How do we know what's right and what's wrong if we don't have the law? You see the controversy. You see the scandal, the difficulty. But did you know that each one of you have already thrown aside the law? Did you know that? Each one of us have already thrown away the law, and you might not even have realized it. Let's take a quick poll. This is like our audience participation part of the morning. Quick poll. Let's be honest. No lying, because that's a law. Who in here loves you some catfish? You love you some catfish. What about shrimp? Anybody love you some shrimp? We had some gumbo, shrimp gumbo at Faith Family Weekend a couple weekends ago. All right, now maybe this isn't you, shrimp and catfish, but how about Belmont barbecue? All right, some Belmont barbecue. Look, if you have tasted Belmont barbecue over in Belmont and you didn't come away with like Holy guacamole, what is this? this is am- if you didn't come away absolutely in love with it, then you need to see your doctor or a therapist because there's something wrong. Okay, this stuff is amazing. Another question. Let's be honest. How many people in here only wear 100% cotton or 100% wool, and you never in an outfit mix the two? Anybody? You bunch of lawbreakers. You never mix it too? All right. How many like to do yard work on Saturday? Maybe you don't like to, but you have to. Yard work on Saturday? Emails on Friday night? You bunch of heathens? You've broken the law. Now, that one is one of the big ten, right? Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You see, we've all set it aside. We didn't even realize it yet, but we still try in our religious thinking to live by it. And here's what we do. We tend to cherry pick the laws that we like and the laws that we don't like. We discard the ones that are too difficult or too cumbersome. It's kind of like going to a Chinese buffet, all right? So you go into the Chinese buffet, right? You say, oh, man, that looks good. Oh, I'll take some of that. And you get down to the end, you're like, what is that? I don't know what that is, but that is not getting on my plate, all right? Let's go to the other aisle because I don't know what that was I just looked at. And you go get some other stuff, and you, like, secretly put one of those frog legs on your wife's plate, you know? And, and, and so we cherry pick, just like we go to the Chinese buffet. But here, is that possible? Can you do that with the law? Is that possible? Well, Here. Look at this, what Paul says about this idea of cherry-picking in Galatians 5, verse 3. He says, this is Paul, don't get mad at me, I testify again. I love that word again. He's like, God, how many times do I have to say this? I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. See, men in Galatia were being told by religious Christians that they had to start keeping the law in order to be closer to God. Well, Paul cleared that up for them by saying that if they were going to submit to one portion of the law, then they had circumcision. Uh, which why do you start there? I don't know. But if you're going to start at one, if you're going to submit to one part of the law, then you're going to have to submit to all 613 laws, and not only that, but you got to keep them perfectly, every single one. The law is an all or nothing proposition. James 2.10 says the same exact thing. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point, he's guilty of all of it. We can't pick and choose. Can you imagine living all your years perfectly, perfectly keeping the entire law, all 613 of them, and then I invite you over to the house and serve you some Belmont barbecue. You've been perfect your whole life. And then in this one moment of weakness, you eat this unclean pork and you're guilty of the entire law. Who who can live up to this? That's the whole point. No one can live up to this and no one was designed to the law pointed out our dirt, so we would need the, see the need to be clean. Well, now that Jesus has made us clean, there's no dirt to point out between us and God anymore. There's always going to be dirt between us and each other, right? There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be dirt and distance between each other. But listen, we are not the God of the universe who will judge dirt at the end of the age, God is. And when we trust in Jesus, there is no more dirt for him to judge. So the law has changed. As blasphemous as that sound and as controversial as it is, the law has changed. And if one part of it changes, all of it changes. Verse 13. Here's the two verses, two, three verses we're going to cover this morning real quick. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken, that is the coming priest, this priest that's coming, We know it's Jesus, right? But remember, that wasn't very well accepted back then. For the one to whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has ever officiated at the altar. So Jesus is not from Levi. He's from another tribe. Verse 14, for it is evident, okay, you don't even have to like look this up. It's evident. It's clear that our Lord Jesus was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke Nothing concerning priests. So let's don't zip past this part. There's no provision, there's no permission, no possibility of someone from Judah being a part of the the priesthood according to the law of Moses. So what does it mean that Jesus is now our permanent priest? Well, it means one of two things, and you can pick which one you want. It means either, first of all, Jesus is an illegitimate priest and must be stricken of all of his priestly glory, or two, the law of Moses has changed, and if you change one part, you change it all. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go with the latter, okay? If you want to call Jesus illegitimate in his priesthood because he's from Judah, not Levi, hey, that's, that's, that's your prerogative but I'm just going to go with what Hebrews is saying, what Stephen died for, what what Paul has been teaching throughout his letters. The law of Moses has changed. Verse 15, and it's still clearer, clearer still. It's like it gets clearer and clearer. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, not not Levi, but Melchizedek, one has become such not on the basis of Physical requirement, the law of physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life. Hebrews is saying that the clearest evidence for this whole ending of the Mosaic law is if and when another priest comes in the order of Melchizedek, you have to change the law. You see, if this happens, when this happens, when a priest according to Melchizedek comes up, if another priest arises, then Levi in his priesthood, Moses in his law, and everything else would now be subject to this new priest. Well, why can you how can you say that, Walt? Well, that's what the whole first ten verses are about. Remember that everyone who pay tithes to Levi and to, to and Levi pay tithes to Melchizedek because of Abraham. That's what the whole first 10 verses are about. Melchizedek and his priesthood is greater. So now you have a new priest that rises, not according to Levi, but back up the chain in accordance to Melchizedek. Every law that pointed to the tribe and the people of Levi would be null and void now that a new priest has shown up. Now let's make sure we don't miss this. The basis of the Levitical priesthood was all physical. Your breed is what qualified you. You had to be born of someone who was born of someone who was born of someone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way back to Aaron, and then from Aaron all the way back to Levi. And that's what qualified you as a priest. But this new priest isn't based on physical breed. He's based, listen, on the power of an indestructible life. Hebrews is saying that Jesus holds this greater priesthood because his very life Is indestructible. Jesus' life isn't just endless, that's awesome, but by its very nature, it cannot end. It's indestructible. So how long will Jesus hold this new priesthood? How long will Jesus hold this so that we remain clean and close with God forever? Well, that's two weeks from now. So come back. So Hebrews is saying that if and when a new priest comes in the order of Melchizedek, Then Moses' law, the entire priesthood, all the sacrifices, the temple and the tabernacle, all of that will be replaced by this new priest who is greater than them all and holds his priesthood forever. Now, where in the world is this writer of Hebrews getting all this? I mean, did he have like a strange pizza last night? He's just starting to write this stuff down. Like, where is all this coming from? Well, here's our last verse, verse 17. Check this out. For, or because, here's my, here's my proof, it is attested of him, him being Jesus, the Messiah, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Do you see those quotation marks there? Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament. In Psalms 110, you can go and read Psalms 110 on your own. In fact, we quote, we'll quote Psalms 110 a couple times during Hebrews uh, 7. King David wrote this some 1,000 years before Jesus. King David, 1,000 years before Jesus, clearly explains that the Mosaic law, the Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial system, the tabernacle, and eventually the temple, because remember, when David was there, there wasn't even a temple yet, all of it will be replaced by the one to whom all that stuff actually points. It'll be replaced by him once he arrives. King David was the first one that I know of who said that Moses' law is going to change. Not Stephen, not Paul, not even Hebrews, and certainly not Walt. The first one who said that this is all going to change is King David, some 1,000 years before Jesus. King David said the Messiah would come, not of Levi. Of the order of Melchizedek. Now this is huge. Who is when you think of all the kings of Israel, who comes to mind as like the top, the best, the premier, the king of Israel? King David, right? I mean, King David. He's a man after God's own what heart. This isn't some strange, you know, name king that you don't even like know how to pronounce it. There's plenty of those guys. We're talking about David. David said that Levi will end. David says by this statement, the order of the sacrifices will end and the law will end. They will all end because of a new priest with an indestructible life would come and actually make us clean and close with God forever. So way back, 1,000 years before Jesus even was born, it was prophesied that a whole new priesthood would come. Now why in the world are the people in the first century dull of believing this because it goes against their natural thinking because grace being such a free gift is not natural our religious mind ever since adam and eve is we've got to work our way back into god's grace so we're going to pause right here for the week we're going to pick up in verse 18 next week and i hope you come back I hope that we see what's going on here in Hebrews 7. A new permanent priest has come, and with him, a huge change has come. The very mentality of how we relate to God has actually changed. We don't relate to God on the basis of rule-keeping. We relate to him on the basis of Jesus and the indestructible life that Jesus now has. And oh yeah, wait a second, we now have that life. Because Jesus lives where? In us. This indestructible life is our hope, our hope of glory, as Paul talks about in Colossians 1. So when you boil down what we're seeing in these few verses today, this is our journey marker. It's simply this. Our hope for rightness, our hope for okayness with God, our hope for being clean and close with God comes through Jesus and not through law-keeping. I know this is controversial. I told Lou this morning that either get, people will either be like, wow, thank you, Jesus, or they'll throw tomatoes. They'll be one of the two. I know this is controversial. I know that our thinking is and has been for a really long time that our rightness with God comes through us keeping the rules. I know. I understand. But that has changed. It's changed for something so much better. And let's celebrate this change. There's no need to fight against it. There's no need to argue with the God of the universe on this. It's his gift of rightness. It's his gift of righteousness that he gives you. Your okayness with the God of the universe comes through Jesus and not through law keeping. But Walt, I hear I hear a saying, I've said it for years, but Walt, won't that just cause us to sin even more if we don't have rules to, to keep us in check? Isn't the point, Walt, to to stop sinning? Listen, when we look to rule keeping as the measure of our rightness with God, we diminish the truth of what Jesus has actually done. You see, I don't think we even realize what we're saying when we say that rule keeping creates rightness with God. What we're saying is this. Thank you, Jesus, for that whole cross thing that you did. Thank you. It was wonderful. I'm really glad that you did it but I got it from here. I got it from here. My law keeping will keep me right with God. Thank you for letting me in the door, but my keeping of the laws and rules that I kind of cherry pick from the you know, smorgasbord of Moses, my keeping them will keep me close with God. Thanks for what you did, but I got it from here. Now, I don't think we hear ourselves saying that, but is that not far from the truth? What did Paul call the Galatians for thinking this? he called them fools. Apparently, Paul would call about 81% of Christians in America fools today for believing that Christianity is simply about keeping the list of rules that are found in the Bible. How can we look to the cross, see his work of removing all of our sin, and then determine that our rule keeping is what actually makes us clean? How can we look to the resurrection and the newness of life and this indestructible life and then determine that our law-keeping actually keeps us closer to God than we already are in Christ? Listen, I know it's hard to swallow, but the law has changed. It's not about sinning or not sinning that makes us clean or dirty or close or distant from God. It's about Jesus and his work. Our band's gonna come up and lead us in a, Final song, and I think it's a very appropriate song that Craig's picked. It just simply says, "I stand amazed. <laughs> I stand amazed." What other response should we have to this wonderful news that Jesus has made us perfectly clean, perfectly close, perfectly right with the God of the universe? We stand amazed. We stand amazed. You might still be thinking, "Well, well, Walt." If God has seen fit, according to Hebrews, according to David, you know, to remove the law of Moses to where it no longer directs our lives, you might be thinking, how do we live then? How do we know what to do? How do we grow? How do we keep from sinning? How do we... Well, you know, if you haven't heard anything this morning, please hear this. God in removing the law of Moses, which by the way, think about it, we were never as Gentiles invited to anyways but we've invited ourselves to it for some reason. By God removing that from the table, it forces us to do something that does not come naturally. When God removes the law of Moses from the picture, listen, please listen, it forces us to rely on and rest in the person and work of Jesus. And and, and, oh yeah, remember, where does he live? In us in us. He dwells in us. The very Spirit of God dwells in us, guiding us in truth. And not to be left out, God the Father dwells in us as well. God has made us compatible to live with him and him to dwell in us. So that every single morning, we have the privilege of waking up and being led, being directed, being guided, being resourced by the loving God of the universe. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, and Christ now dwells in us who believe. So no, listen, we don't need 613 laws of Moses to direct our steps we don't need to check the tags when we go shopping and say, "Dead gummin," it's another poly cotton blend." We have something much better. We have the fullness of God in us, directing us, loving us, guiding us. At the end of the day, be honest, which would you rather rely upon? Would you rather rely? Upon 613 laws to show you how to live or the very spirit of God in you? Would you rather have the, which would oh, think of this, which would you rather guide you into sinning less often? 613 things written on a piece of paper, which Paul says ironically actually arouses sin in our flesh or the very spirit of God who now lives in you who will never arouse sin in your flesh. I'll take the Spirit. I'm going to take the Spirit. And believe God when he says that the law has changed. You know, I think God rigged this thing from the beginning. (laughs) He rigged it so that we must rely upon him and no one else. I know it's controversial, but listen, our hope for righteousness with God comes through Jesus and not through law keeping let's stand real quick and i'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing this very appropriate song i stand amazed i stand amazed listen this morning if you if this whole thing of jesus is kind of new to you listen i would invite you to come and talk with me i'll be standing over here on the side if you want to come and talk about jesus or about what it means to believe in him or, or whatnot please come talk i encourage you to come to a community group this week Go to our website or come see Jim afterwards for more info about community groups. What does it mean? How do we learn to depend upon the life of another instead of learning to depend on our ability to keep rules? How do we do that? Well, let's come to community group and we'll learn from each other. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what Hebrews is revealing to us. Hebrews is revealing to us your plan from all of eternity past to Create a people, a church, the body of Christ, who has nowhere to turn except to Jesus to find hope and life and godliness. Peter says that we have been given the power of you that drives us and leads us into godly living. Not rules to try to change the outside, to modify behavior and simply manage sin, But we have been given the very indestructible life of Jesus now in us. Joined to us, one with us, from him, the wellspring of life, we now walk. We're guided in truth by his very spirit. And we are as close as it gets to you, the Father, because we have been made one in your spirit. So, Father, I thank you. I don't understand this, but I believe it. it it's, it's different from what our minds want to do. Your ways certainly are above ours. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that verse. It says, I, how could he love me, a sinner condemned unclean? Well, verse 2 He took all that unclean sin and all my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. And we've been singing this stuff for a long, long time. I was just telling Lou that earlier. We've been singing the truth in a lot of our songs and hymns from growing up, but man, It's a joy when you actually start to see it and get it. Listen, I hope you guys have a great week. If you're interested in volunteering, uh, I don't know if uh, Jennifer is here today. I didn't see her. uh, But if you have any questions about volunteering, I don't know who'll be over at the table. But just let somebody know. Let me know if you don't see anybody else because we'd love to get you guys plugged into volunteering and serving in different ways. We love you. Have a great week. And remember that Jesus, he is our hope, man. He's our hope for rightness and not anything that we could ever do. Love you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please, do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.